Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily, and today we have the honor of having Brian Byro with us. This is part one of a two-part interview. Now, Brian is America's breakthrough coach. He has delivered more than 1,600 presentations around the world over the past 27 years. He's written 11 books and raised a family he considers his greatest blessing and legacy. Throughout three exciting careers, it has been Brian's faith in human potential and absolute belief that everyone is a leader, that we are the CEOs of our own lives that has fueled his energy, purpose, and passion. In his first career, Brian built one of the largest private swimming teams in the United States. His teams finished in the top three at the Junior National Championship four times. He received the United States Swimming Coaching Excellence Award, and 44 of his athletes earned full college scholarships. Throughout it all, Brian understood that he coached people more than swimming. In his next career, Brian leapt into the corporate world and became the vice president of a large transportation company in the Pacific Northwest. This is where he discovered his unbridled passion for teaching breakthrough principles when he developed his team building program for all his company employees. The result was a tremendous turnaround in performance, service, and success. He loved doing these seminars so much, he leapt once more into his present work as a professional speaker and author. Brian truly believes there are no overachievers, that we have more in us than we've ever dreamed of. The compelling why that energizes everything he does is to help everyone he touches believe more in themselves and become breakthrough leaders who shape the future energize and engage their teams, and build people, teams, and relationships. The greatest gift we've been given is today. So welcome, Brian Byro. How are you? I am wonderful, Lily. It's a joy to be with you. Well, we're so happy to have you. As you know, this podcast takes us on a journey to master leadership, and we want to do that today by asking you key questions. So are you ready to pour into our listeners? I'm ready to rock and roll. Let's talk about breakthrough kind of leadership. Okay. So can you tell us a bit about your leadership path and what you're doing now? Yes. First, I love people, and that's been kind of the common bond through all of my careers. I've had three wonderful careers. I went to Stanford University when I was a young man, and to put myself through school, I was a swimming coach in the summers, and I loved it because mm. coaching is about bringing out the best in people. You don't really coach swimming, you coach people. Yeah. And so when I graduated, that became my first career. I dove in, oh, that's a good word for swimming, I guess. I dove in <laughs> uh, to become a United States swimming coach, built my team into what was then the largest uh, private team in the country at the time, had a blast 
we did some wonderful things. 44 of my kids earned full college scholarships, but I had no life. So the second step was I'd probably still be a swimming coach if I'd have had a life, but I wanted to find balance. Balance is a key to leadership. And so I'm probably the only guy you know, Lily, who went to graduate school that got my MBA to get a life instead of a job. And, and, <laughs> well, you know, some of us figured that out later on in life. Oh. You just were on the cutting edge at that time. There you go. There you go. <laughs> so, um, I went to UCLA to graduate school, and I did find my life. I got in great physical health, which I wasn't in when I was coaching, surprisingly. I found my wife, and she found me, and we started our life together and our family. Ended up going into my corporate career, became a vice president of a large transportation company in the Pacific Northwest. Again, I loved people, and we were a team that was not a team. We were mm. kind of really separated in a lot of ways into operations, sales, and administration. And that just didn't make sense to me. We should be one team. And so that was kind of step two was mm-hmm. understanding that team building and leadership are hand in hand. And so we had a magnificent turnaround from the inside out mm-hmm. where we really became a supportive organization. But I didn't give a hoot about transportation, really. I just <laughs> loved people. And one of the things that I did to help move that group into a real team was started doing the seminars that have become the core of my third career. I've been a professional speaker and an author now for 27 years. Absolutely love it. It's kind of bringing together both the coaching and the corporate life. I've written now 11 books, uh, traveled all around the world, spoke in all 50 states in 15 different countries. I'm really focused on the passion I have for helping everyone understand that everyone is a leader. There aren't leaders and followers. We're all self-leaders. We're the CEOs of our own lives. That's wonderful, and I truly believe that. Now, you kept saying that you love people. When did you realize that you loved people? You know, I think it was real early on. I think it was probably when, even in elementary school. I just loved making people laugh, so I was a little bit of the clown. But I just really felt that we have more in us than people sometimes think. And that has evolved through time to this idea of being America's breakthrough coach, where really what I'm trying to help people do is choose love over fear, to break through fears, obstacles, habits, or doubts, because we have what we need inside of us. It's just opening that up. You know, it's when we were seven years old, we got this great idea. We said, Dad, for your birthday, you can send me and 22 of my best friends to Disneyland. And Dad (laughs) said, that's the dumbest idea I ever heard. And we lose that faith. We're Mm. nine years old. We're singing in the shower. We sound good. We should be on American Idol. And somebody says, what's that racket? And we lose our voice. (laughs) Mm. And so my work is to chip away at that stuff that's on the outside and get to the golden essence. Wonderful. So, Brian, how would you describe your leadership style? I have developed this concept called breakthrough leadership, and it really consists of three doing parts that leads to an outcome and eventually becomes a becoming. So Mm -hmm. let me explain that. The three steps to breakthrough leadership. Step one is to shape the future. And that's all about vision. With your vision in relation to leadership, we haven't learned a lot about it. And there's two real key concepts to vision that shapes the future. We have to do that because five years from now, Lily, we won't be driving cars. Mm-hmm. Cars will be driving us. Right. Um, that's where it's going. Tesla, Uber, they're all developing cars, for example, that we will not drive. We'll say, just take us to X place. How cool is so that? So that entire industry is going to change. Yeah. The biggest hospitality company in the world today is Airbnb. It's bigger than Marriott. It's bigger than Hilton. It wasn't here 10 years ago. So step one has to be to shape the future and shape our future. Step two is to energize and engage yourself and those around you. 
everything is energy. And if there was one word to describe what I think in my leadership style is, it's really about energy. Because to everyone we touch, our energy is our example. People won't remember that much of what we say, but they'll never forget our energy. And so to energize others helps them to start to break through their fears, obstacles, habits, or doubts. The third step is to build people, teams, and relationships. I don't care what industry you're in, what profession you're in, what you do, every single thing we do is a people business. It's about relationships. It's about helping people believe in themselves. It's about connecting with people, building trust, helping people know they're significant. So those three doing steps of breakthrough leadership, shape the future, energize and engage yourself and your team, build people, teams and relationships. When you consistently do those three things, you get what you came for, which is to deliver breakthrough results. And breakthrough results are doing things you've never done before or doing things you've done before different and better than you've ever done it before. That's what we're after in life is to break through. We want to break through with our kids so they make great choices and have great lives. We want to break through on our health habits so we're more vibrant and alive and we have greater energy to enjoy the greatest gift we're given called today. And so breakthrough results are moving in a direction beyond things we've done before. Now, four steps. Step one is a doing. Shape the future. Step two, energize and engage yourself and your team. Three, build people, teams, and relationships leads to delivering breakthrough results. And if you do that consistently over time, what happens is it moves from what you do and what you create to who you become. And that's the ultimate goal of breakthrough leadership, to be a model of personal excellence, integrity, accountability, and humility. And humility means I always want to learn. I mean, that's one thing I pick up about you, Lily, right away as you do these podcasts because you love to learn. You love to listen to people, pick up a pearl here. I can just see it in the way that we're connecting um, as we're looking at each other via Skype. And that humility says, I always want to learn. It's what you learn after you know everything that makes the difference. And so when you move to that level of becoming a model of personal excellence, integrity, accountability, and humility, you affect people almost just through your automatic energy. It's no longer even what you say. It's who you are. You know, I got your book and I want to thank you. You gave me the gift of your book and now you're giving us the gift of this podcast and I'm not through with it because I'm savoring it. It's so amazing. I have all kinds of tags on it. You have these questions, you know, you talk about windows of opportunity, woos, which is wonderful. I love it. And so one of the things that you ask is, what are you curious about? Something like that. And I really thought about that. And I'm really curious about people. But it's interesting. You figured this out a long time ago. I'm just embracing this. I mean, I'm living it. But in my mind, I'm just really embracing the fact that I do love people. And I'm extremely curious about how they operate and who they are as individuals and who they are in the world. So I'm excited about that. Your book is amazing. Can you tell us a bit about your book? Sure. This is my 11th book. It's really kind of a combination of everything that I've done. It's called There Are No Overachievers. The title came from one of my greatest mentors who was arguably the greatest athletic coach of all time. His name was John Wooden. Uh, John Wooden was the UCLA basketball coach from 1948 to 1975. He is a legend, but he was an even better teacher, person, husband, father, than he was a coach. Mm-hmm. And he often said, Brian, there are no overachievers. We are all underachievers. We have more in us than we dreamed of. And so the idea of this book was to really help people look at that. We are conditioned, Lily, to look at the obstacle more than the breakthrough. 
if you think about it, we're focused on what's wrong more than what's right. What do most people focus a lot of their attention on? Worrying about what will go wrong. Has it happened? No. But what we focus on is what we create. And so the more we focus on the obstacle, the more obstacles we create. The more we focus on weaknesses rather than our strengths, the more we create them. And so I wrote this book to help people break through that. You can't pretend there aren't obstacles. We run into those things. But then get beyond them. Look to what's next. And so this book goes through all kinds of focus on those areas we talked about, breakthrough leadership, Mm -hmm. about how we can shift our focus to the possibility rather than the limit, Mm -hmm. shift our focus to our creativity rather than our fears. And as I said, all breakthroughs, when you get down to it, are the same one. You break through from fear to love. That's Mm -hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Fear has a lot of names. It can be anger. It can be bullying. It can be all those different names. And love has a lot of names. Joy, possibility, being easy to impress but hard to offend. Mm-hmm. All of those kinds of I concepts are really on the breakthrough side. So part of the reason I'm called America's Breakthrough Coach is I've had more than half a million people actually break wooden boards karate style. And that is an experience of a real breakthrough because Mm -hmm. 95% of the breakthrough is focusing beyond the board. And what most people automatically want to do is look right at that board. You focus on the board, you get the board. You focus on the breakthrough, you get the breakthrough. And I use it as a metaphor to have people write on their board a limit, fear, obstacle, habit, or doubt that today is the day I break through once and for all. Never again am I going to let it hurt my children. Mm -hmm. Never again am I going to let it pull me from my confidence. And the other side of the board, I have them write down, when I've broken through that fear of public speaking, what's on the other side? What am I going to feel, do, be, create, have in my life because I no longer am ruled by that fear? Joy, possibility, confidence, energy, focus. And so that's what real breakthroughs are. It's already in us to get to the other side, but we've got to stop looking at the obstacles or kind of fixating on the obstacles, see what they are, and then move beyond. You know, I love what you bring here. When I look at this and this breakthrough, I always think about the people that have helped me break through things, right? Because I can read about it, right? I can be inspired by it. But when you mention fear, fear is there and it seems pretty big. And I know for me, I've needed people speaking into my life to help me to cross that threshold into something else. So can you speak a little bit about how important coaching is? Absolutely. And and what you're talking about, the people who have helped you break through, they are what I call positive Pygmalions. Mm -hmm. So let me explain what the Pygmalion effect is. This has been a concept that's been around. It's drawn from the Greek myth about Pygmalion. And Pygmalion was an artist and he was very lonely in his own personal life. So he decided to create a beautiful sculpture that would pour his heart into it. So he put his whole thought, belief and energy into creating the sculpture. When he'd finished, he had created a sculpture of a woman. And the myth says it was so much the essence of all his built up emotion that as he looked at what he had created, he fell in love with it. Mm. Well, The goddess of love, Aphrodite, descended to earth behind him, pulled out a magical bow and arrow, let fly with the arrow that went straight into the heart of the stone sculpture. Well, the myth says the instant that the arrow hit the stone, transformation occurred. And the stone turned into a living, breathing woman whose name was Galatea. Galatea opened her eyes. She saw Piggy. Piggy saw her. And they fell in love with each other and lived happily ever after. 
Now, I don't know whether that's a true story or not, but the concept that it teaches right. is true, and it's called the Pygmalion effect. And what it says is, in the same way that Pygmalion breathed life into the stone, our thoughts, our beliefs, and our expectations are breathing life into the people that we interact with, whether they're positive or negative. And so the Pygmalion effect was actually first tested by a guy by the name of David Rosenthal. He was a researcher from Harvard. And what he did was he went into first grade classrooms and he told the teachers, this was 25 different schools, about 500 first graders. He told the teachers and only the teachers that he had developed a test for first graders which would identify something that they would really love to know about their class. It would identify which of the students were what he called spurters. Now, a spurter was a child with great potential, but who had not used it yet. And so this test that Rosenthal would give to these kids would identify for the teachers which of those kids were actually spurters. So he administered the test, 500 kids, 25 teachers, gathered up the tests, a week later, came back to the teachers and told them which of the kids had scored a spurter. Said, Lily is a spurter, John's a spurter, Mike's a spurter. But guess what? It was a fake. Mm. He had never graded anything. He had administered a very basic intelligence test, but he never even looked at them. He burned them. So completely at random, he had told the teachers which of the kids had scored a spurters. Well, guess what happened, Lily? Those kids spurted. Exactly. Over 95% of the children that were randomly chosen as spurters rose to the top of the class and stayed there. Why? Who changed? The teachers. Mm. The teacher no longer looked at you, Lily, as Lily. They looked at you as a spurter and they taught them differently. Mm-hmm. It was a brilliant study. Of course, he got sued for it. Guess who sued him? The parents of the other kids. Of the other kids, yeah. Because the teachers taught them as if they weren't spurters. Mm. And so this concept of coaching is hand in hand tied to the concept of the Pygmalion effect. And the people who have built us have seen in us more than we see in ourselves, have believed in us, and then have taken action. They've said, you know, Lily, you have a gift for interviewing people. You should do a podcast. They said, Lily, you have a wonderful curiosity about what makes people the way that they are, how they think. And as a result of that, that started to grow on you. It started to build a confidence. Mm -hmm. So coaching is about bringing out. It's about the Pygmalion effect. And it's also about another key that I bring up in There Are No Overachievers, which is to ask more than tell. When we ask, we have a chance to do a number of things. It's no kind of coincidence that we have two ears and one mouth. That's really a very important concept. But what happens when we ask instead of tell is a number of things. One, we have a chance to learn things that we never would have thought of because everybody sees the world differently. Mm-hmm. Two, when we ask people what they think, we ask them for their thoughts, for their input, for their feedback, we immediately help those people feel it's significant and important. We help them feel like what they have to say has value. Mm -hmm. Um, Third, as soon as people start to feel important, they elevate their energy. So great coaches ask more than tell and only tell when the time is right, when it's really that peak moment and there's just a complete receptivity to that advice, that concept, that tip, that addition. But way better to ask people so they figure it out for themselves. Mm -hmm. One of the greatest examples probably in history, Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln never told anybody anything. He just told them stories and asked them, and they figured it out. Mm -hmm. And they always seem to figure it out in a way that helped them grow. So it's really important because we're not conditioned as leaders to ask more than tell. We're conditioned to tell more than ask. 
And that's absolutely true. And I get the honor of asking the questions and I get the honor of asking them quite often to amazing individuals, whether they've authored a book or just started leading. There's so much to learn. So you're absolutely right. It's about adding value to people. And so I love that. Now, you've gotten advice from the best, right? So what is the best advice you've received? Wow, that's a huge question. I would say there's a few different things. Let me really focus on three. Okay. The first is to be easy to impress but hard to offend. Mm. I actually have a couple of chapters on that in the book. Mm -hmm. So many people are the opposite. They're hard to impress and easy to offend. When you're easy to impress, that doesn't mean you're a pushover. It means you're interested, like you, Lily. You're interested in people. Uh, And immediately that makes people feel significant and important. And here's the bottom line. The job of a leader comes down to one thing. Our job is to help the people we lead to know they're important, to know they're significant, to know that they matter and they count. Mm -hmm. And so when we are easy to impress, that means we are interested in people and people love that. They feel heard. They feel valued. When we're hard to offend, then what happens is we start to recognize this could mean something other than an attack on me. This could mean that this person doesn't understand the way I communicated, so I have to change my communication. See, the meaning of my communication is the response I get. When we're hard to offend, we don't get caught up in defensiveness. We don't get caught up in little petty squabbles. We value differences rather than fear them. And we really can learn, because I don't want a team of people who are exactly like me then we're not going to see very much. We're only going to see that little bit that I see. I would love to have people on my team who see the things that I miss, who have passions in areas I'm not that good at. And then by being easy to impress and hard to offend, those differences add value rather than fear. As I was reading your book, I came to this chapter and I just stopped because to be easy to impress and hard to offend, that's a higher calling. That would mean that I have to be intentional about my thoughts, intentional about my actions. It absolutely does. And it takes choice. And to make a choice, you have to be presented with a choice. And see, I don't think anybody has ever been taught in school, be easy to impress and hard to offend. What does that mean? And so that's one of the reasons why I wrote this book is because that was some advice I got. I don't even know where it came from, but it just grabbed my heart and Mm -hmm. shook it. Mm -hmm. And it said, I want to be that way. Because the times when I've been easy to offend have been the times when I've disconnected from others. It's when I've stopped learning. It's when I've become less than the person I choose to be. So you're right. Everything that I teach, everything that I stand for, everything that's written in this book is about intentionality. Another way of saying it's about choices. And we have that choice. And as soon as we're aware of being easy to impress and hard to offend, we can begin to exercise that choice. But without having even being presented with that story and that concept and that idea, we can fall back into kind of the little kid thing of, you know, you attack me, I'll attack you back rather than what else could this mean? Which is actually happening in politics as we speak. We won't we go speak, there, but right? absolutely, it truly is. <laughs> and it's also, you know, you spoke about energy. It just picks up your energy at increasing levels when you think about being easy to impress and hard to offend. And it decreases when you think the opposite, when you're hard to impress and easy to offend. The absolutely. energies are so completely different. It's a long-term choice. Right. In the book, to bring out the story of the concept of being hard to offend, I actually tell the story of the great golfer, Jack. Jack Nicholas. Mm-hmm. Jack Nicholas, many people think, was the greatest golfer of all time. But when he first started, when he first came on the golf tour, he was the villain. 
no one liked him because he was beating Arnold Palmer. Arnold Palmer was the dashing, handsome guy. And Jack Nicholas had a crew cut. He was a little overweight. Nobody liked him, but he was hard to offend. He was always a wonderful sportsman. He was gracious in defeat, gracious in victory. He never wavered from that being hard to offend, despite the terrible stuff that was thrown at him for no real good reason. Today, 50 years later, He is revered as a human being even more than as an athlete because he stayed that course. So the important thing about being easy to press and hard to offend, including all of the choices in the book, it's a long-term choice. It's something you deal with every day, but over time, that's when it really begins to have an impact on others. So I said I had three of those. You're so on target. Go ahead. (laughs) The second one actually came from a funny place. It actually came from a movie, and the movie was called Always. And Always was a Steven Spielberg movie. It was with Richard Dreyfuss and Holly Hunter, and it was a story about a National Park Service pilot who put out forest fires. Mm -hmm. Well, as brave as he is as a pilot, he is terrified to tell the woman he loves that he loves her. Mm -hmm. Well, in one crucial scene... He crashes and burns. He puts out the fire, but he dies. Well, the next thing you know in the movie, he's wandering around wondering where he is, and he runs into, of all people, Audrey Hepburn. And it's Audrey Hepburn's final role as an actress. She passed away shortly after this. She's all in white. Well, she's an angel. Mm -hmm. And what she says to Richard Dreyfuss is, you cannot go yet because you've left something most important undone. Mm -hmm. And she said these words... She said, the love we fail to share is the only pain we leave with. Those words just, even saying them today, brought chills to me and it just grabbed me. And I started thinking about it. How many people lose someone and feel this terrible sense of why didn't I tell them? And so the more I thought about it, I thought there's a woo, a window of opportunity to learn from that statement. And it's the most important words I've ever written. And it just changes one word. It says, the love we fail to share is the only pain we live with instead of leave with. Mm. The time to change that is now. And what that's talking about is to open your heart to recognize, acknowledge, appreciate, fill with gratitude for the people in your life every day, to be fully present with them. Because the love we fail to share is the only pain we live with. We can live much more pain-free if we don't wait, if we don't take the path called as soon as. Because as soon as is a direct road to never. Mm -hmm. So that's the second piece of advice. The third, we'll go to John Wooden. And it was his definition of success. So many people look at success. And instead of building success, it builds a fear of failure. Because almost everyone's definition of success in some way focuses on comparing to others. John Wooden said success is peace of mind. And it comes from only one thing. From knowing you've given the best of which you're capable. In other words, it's not about the outside, it's about the inside. Mm -hmm. I'm focusing on my own energy, my own choices, and that is success. Um, It isn't about beating anybody else. That concept transformed my life because I was the kid who grew up always trying to be the best at everything, mainly because I wanted my dad to be proud of me. And he was of another age and somebody who it wasn't easy for him to ever say a compliment. And so I worked hard in sports. I worked hard in school just to have him say, I love you, son. You're a great kid. But he couldn't do it. And that kind of became this driving force and where I had to be the best at everything. 
one day that concept of that definition of success, the success is on the inside, not the outside, transferred again one word. And instead of trying to be the best, I made up my mind that my life would focus on being my best. Mm-hmm. Instead of the best, my best. And that took that external to the internal. A lot of things happened, Lily. I became fun to play with instead of horrible to play with. <laughs> I was more open to learn. I was less easy to offend. Right. All those things changed when I realized that success is peace of mind. It comes from giving the best of what you're capable. So those are three really sage pieces of advice that I've picked up. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. This is the end of part one. Don't miss part two next week. And don't forget, this fall, we're kicking off some amazing mastermind groups. So make sure to go to masterleadership.org and find out how you can register and be a part of this wonderful community. Until next time, continue to ignite that leader in you.